Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like building grid-scale solar energy in Ohio and producing gas with fewer operational emissions in Texas. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. This is Tracy V. Wilson from Stuff You Missed in History Class. The national sales event is on at your Toyota dealer, making now the perfect time to get a great deal on a dependable new car. Like a legendary Camry built for performance and available with all-wheel drive, you can count on your new Camry to get anywhere you need to go. Or check out an affordable and reliable Corolla with a trim for every lifestyle. From the hip sedan to the sporty hatchback, there's a Corolla built just for you. Check out more national sales event deals when you visit buyatoyota.com. Toyota, let's go places. You're ready for a comeback. And with Purdue Global, you can do more than take classes. You can take charge of your story, of your career, of your life. Earn a degree you can be proud of and get an education employers respect. It's time, your time, not just to go back to school, but to come back and move forward with Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback at purdueglobal.edu. Welcome to Part-Time Genius, a production of iHeartRadio. Guess what, Will? What's that, Mango? So I was looking up facts about the Queen this week, and one of the things I always forget is how fussy royals can be about titles. So if the Queen were properly introduced to you, her title would actually read, Elizabeth II, by the grace of God, of the United Kingdom of Great Britain and Northern Ireland, and of her other realms and territories, Queen, Head of the Commonwealth, Defender of the Faith. (laughs) I feel like that's kind of a mouthful. Yeah, I mean, it's a little clunky for a business card. And it's funny because in all of that word salad, you'll notice she doesn't actually use her last name. And that's partially because the family has changed names over the years and sort of picked up Windsor because of the castle they own. But, you know, it could also be Mountbatten because that's Prince Philip's last name. It's a whole thing. Anyway, now she's kind of like Madonna or Prince and she doesn't need a last name to get by. But the other thing I noticed is that even though she has quite a lot of titles there, it's actually a much more tasteful version compared to some other rulers. How do you mean? So for comparison, I I pulled the dictator Idi Amin's title and, you know, dictators are not known for their subtlety. (laughs) And uh, this is how he insisted on being addressed. It goes, His Excellency, President for Life, Field Marshal Al-Haji, Dr. Idi Amin, Dada, VC, DSO, MC, CBE, Lord of all the beasts of the earth and fishes of the seas and conqueror of the British Empire in Africa in general and Uganda in particular. It's, uh, it's just a little more ostentatious. Plus, the queen, you know, actually technically owns all the swans and fish and dolphins off the coasts of her lands, but she's left mm-hmm. that off her title. She totally should have kept that one in there. I, I don't know. I would have included that if I owned all those dolphins. <laughs> that is why you're not queen. Anyway, right. uh, <laughs> speaking of titles, today's show is all about nine regal facts about British royals. It includes from the weird ways they eat dessert to the unusual religions they've inspired to the long lost American cousins who are trying to get a piece of that throne. Why don't we dive in?
Hey there, podcast listeners. Welcome to Part-Time Genius. I'm Will Pearson, and as always, I'm joined by my good friend, Mangesh Hatikader. And on the other side of my computer screen, wearing a lovely velvet hat. Honestly, Mango, <laughs> I feel like this would look right at home in the Queen's collection. I mean, it it is really, really fancy. It but that's beautiful. our friend and producer, Lowell. This is, it, it is quite the hat. But, <laughs> you know, I, actually, I was thinking about this. What color pastel would you say that is, Mango? Do you think it's like Robin's Egg Blue? Or what What, what would be your guess? Robin's Egg Blue. <laughs> yeah, that's, uh, <laughs> that's what I've been thinking. Robin's Egg Blue. <laughs> Uh, maybe a seafoam. I I don't know. You're clearly better at colors. <laughs> yeah, it's definitely Robin's egg blue, but it it looks great, whatever the exact color is. And of course, we've got our buddy Gabe in the third seat here, hatless, unfortunately, mm. but we're excited to have him back in studio or whatever this is. <laughs> well, I'm thrilled to be here, guys. Thanks for having me back. I missed the memo on the hats, but still good to be here. <laughs> <laughs> Always good to see you. So today we're talking about British royals and partially because Mango and I were talking a few weeks back about how long the queen has reigned. Now, apparently it was Her Majesty's 94th birthday at the start of COVID, but she was just 26 years old when she ascended the throne. So she's been on the throne for 68 years, which is just insane. Wow. And in fact, most British people straight up weren't alive when Elizabeth II ascended the throne. The UK's Office of Statistics did a report on this back in, I think it was 2017. And according to the data, 81% of current citizens have never known a monarch besides the current queen, which is just wild to think about. But more than that, look at who she's outlasted. 14 British prime ministers have come and gone in that time and 13 different U.S. presidents. I mean, that is insane. And and maybe she'll see 14, depending on how our uh, November election goes, which, yep. you know, feels like so many lifetimes. I I, I mean, her, her reign, I, I looked this up, actually starts with Truman in office. But uh, <laughs> but <laughs> uh, maybe we'll let Gabe lead off today. Gabe, what is the most important fact you have about the queen? So I don't know if this qualifies as important per se, but it is one of my favorites. And it's the fact that Queen Elizabeth II was once the proud owner of no fewer than six big mouth Billy Bass. Can you guys believe it? <laughs> I love, I, I really love that that's where you're starting. And I actually knew that she had one Billy Bass, but I don't think I realized she had six. Uh, but maybe remind the listeners out there what a Billy Bass is. Yeah, sure. I mean... It's ridiculous for starters, and uh, I guess for those of you who somehow don't remember, uh, the big mouth Billy Bass was a, a novelty wall-mounted fish, and uh, you, you'd put it on your wall like a trophy, and uh, it had some sort of uh, you know light sensor in it or motion sensor, so when you walked by, it would turn its head off the mount and face you, and then it would start singing in a really ridiculous, soulful voice. I love that you just explained what this was for everybody. I don't, I don't know how you could forget this. Do as I'm this, told. The whole, Take me to the river. Oh, so bad. I mean, it was one of those so things. Soulful. I think it was the quickest thing that went from funny to so unfunny by the second time that you saw it. I mean, it that novelty wore thin pretty quickly. But did Billy Bass sing any other songs? I was actually trying to remember. Yeah, uh, just one other, which was uh, Don't Worry, Be Happy. <laughs> that's right i remember this actually now that you say that mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. that's really funny um so so tell us how, how did this end up in like her majesty's hands like how, how did she fall in love with it 
Yeah, good question. So, I mean, I guess the Princess Royal is the one to blame for this. She uh, introduced them to the Queen back in 2000, and uh, it was reported that Queen Elizabeth fell in love with her big mouth, Billy Bass, immediately. And soon after, she had six of her own installed at Balmoral Castle, including one that she actually had mounted on top of the grand piano. And, uh, I mean... (laughs) We also know, thankfully, that the Queen was given a Rocky the Singing Lobster for her birthday that year, too. So, quite a menagerie. What is Rocky the Singing Lobster? Rocky was like Billy's crustacean cousin, I guess you could say. Uh, (laughs) So, basically, same deal. uh, Singing Lobster. His repertoire included Rock the Boat and uh, that Dua Diddy song. which I know you guys <laughs> yeah. love. And uh, the best part is the queen apparently loved to sing along with them. I, I know we've talked about how annoying this thing was, but for some weird reason, this actually makes me like her more. I mean, it's <laughs> just such a great fact. I, I also kind of like to imagine that she sets them all off at once, like Rocky the Lobster, all six billies, and then she just... <laughs> bask in all this <laughs> chaos like it's just so fun to imagine i i i want to go back for a second because i i think you said she was once the proud owner of six billies like does that mean she's ditched her collection over the years or, or what, what's happened to them <laughs> yeah I, I guess we can't say for sure right but it, it has been 20 years so i'm thinking the odds are that you know her big mouth billies eventually wound up in the trash with you know everybody else's That's tragic <laughs> Uh, There is a chance the fish and Rocky are still with her, though. Why is that? Well, there are a lot of rules about giving gifts to the royal family, and one of them is that they don't actually own the gifts you give them. They can wear them or use them, but the actual items are considered part of the royal collection. So since Rocky the Lobster was a birthday present, the queen was technically holding him in trust. So getting rid of him wouldn't really be her call to make. I feel like this fact just keeps getting better. Like I love the queen may be forced to own a singing lobster in perpetuity. This is, it's just too good, Gabe. It really is good. Well, I mean, from what I read, she has a great sense of humor, which makes sense with this story. And uh, apparently she's pretty good at impressions too. So one of her former chaplains told the Associated Press that, quote, the queen imitating the landing of a Concorde jet is one of the funniest things you could ever see. <laughs> sounds right to me, right? And it doesn't sound dated at all, the Concord. No, not at all. <laughs> I, I honestly love the idea of the Queen doing a comedy set, and it's like completely relatable jokes from the 80s about riding the Concord and, and like <laughs> what happens when your butler brings you the wrong type of caviar or something. That'd be awesome. <laughs> um, so speaking of things that would be fun to watch, here's something I just learned. The royal family has an elaborate protocol for when they eat fruit at formal events. So this is according to a chef who worked at Buckingham Palace for years. No food served at a royal banquet should ever be eaten by hand, including apples, bananas, and grapes. Actually, this is weird, but it was just recently, I was thinking about that episode of Seinfeld where George starts eating candy bars with cutlery and then people start eating M&Ms with a spoon. Do you remember this episode? Yeah, I totally do. I mean, uh, the the weird thing is there's a particular way every fruit should be cut and eaten, according to the royals. Like um, w- with a pear, the royal way is to slice off the top and then use a teaspoon to eat it like a boiled egg. 
which is ridiculous. <laughs> or for bananas, you cut off both ends of the banana and then you slice the peel down the middle from end to end. And then mm-hmm. you spread the peel apart with your utensils and like slice the fruit into tiny circles you can fork into your mouth. It is yeah. really, really easy, guys. I don't know why we're not all eating fruit like this. <laughs> no, no, that, that's that's actually how, how I eat my bananas. I don't even understand how you'd eat them any other way. That's, um... <laughs> is, is there another way? So I have to tell you guys about this weird tradition that I was reading about every year the royal family gathers for a big Christmas dinner at their estate in Norfolk. And if a family member wants to eat that night, they have to indulge the queen in this odd activity first. And this is going to sound weird, but the queen asks each guest to weigh themselves twice during the <laughs> evening, both before and after the dinner. <laughs> what? It's like, you're right. That does sound weird. And I mean, what are they like using like super fragile Victorian dining chairs or something? Like, why are they weighing themselves? I actually, I think the chairs are, are pretty sturdy. I'm, I'm just well, guessing that they are. But according to Cosmo, the tradition goes all the way back to King Edward VII. So in the early 1900s, there'd been a lot of famine. And as a result, the king was concerned about the health of his guests and whether or not they were getting enough to eat on Christmas. So every year he would drag out a pair of antique scales and have each guest weighed before and after dinner just to make sure they'd been fed well. And obviously food shortages haven't been you know, much of an issue during the queen's reign, but she apparently loves this weird tradition. I mean, she just gets weirder and weirder, which is great, <laughs> but she still insists that her family step on those same old scales each Christmas, which I guess is a small price to pay for what's probably an amazing spread. Mm, that's a good point. And honestly, you know, whatever's on the menu, it, it goes without saying that most people need an invite if you want to dine mm-hmm. at the royal table, but... There's actually one person for whom that rule does not apply, or Hmm. at least that's what he thought. Because back in 1982, there was a British painter named Michael Fagan, and he successfully broke into Buckingham Palace not once, but twice. And (laughs) during his first break-in, Fagan managed to evade security, and he climbed up a drain pipe and went into the palace through an unlocked window. He then proceeded to make himself at home for the next half hour. So he helped himself to some cheddar cheese and crackers. He admired a few portraits. <laughs> he even sat on the queen's throne and like downed a half a bottle of wine. Oh, wow. Yeah. And at some point he just decided, eh, you know, it's time to leave. And he did. And so he just like got away with this. Yeah, that's right. But the success made Fagan a little cocky because a few months later, he couldn't help but return for a second visit. So once again, he scaled the 14 foot high wall outside the palace and then he climbed up a drain pipe and right in through the window. And it was early morning this time. And by 715, Fagan had found his way to the queen's own bedroom. And so he later described the scene saying, quote, I walk past her bed, and it looks too small to be the queen. So I go over and draw the curtain back just to make sure. And suddenly, <laughs> and suddenly she sat up and said, what are you doing here? <laughs> and at that point, Fagan says the queen jumped out of bed, bolted out of the room, quote, her little bare feet running across the floor. Which sounds terrifying for the queen, but also like, cute like she seems really fast (laughs) from that description i can't believe the palace security is so lax though like i'm guessing we know the story because because he eventually got caught yeah that's right he got caught that time but the capture probably didn't go as you'd expect 
According to Fagan, a footman came to the queen's bedroom and escorted him to a pantry where he was given some whiskey and told to wait for the police to arrive. But here's the weirdest part. Fagan's trespassing was considered a civil wrong rather than a criminal offense. And that's because in England, for breaking and entering to be a crime, you have to prove that the perpetrator did so with the intent to do something else illegal, like hmm. you broke in to kill someone or to steal something. But in this case, there was no evidence that Fagan had entered the palace with the intention of harming or stealing anything. So technically, he hadn't committed a crime. What, what, actually, you said he stole cheese and wine. If somebody breaks in my house and steals <laughs> cheese, they're going to get in trouble for it. Like the wine, you can have some. You can't steal my cheese. They, didn't you say he stole it? Yeah, right. Yeah. And, and Fagan actually was charged with theft because of that. But he didn't break into Buckingham Palace with the goal of stealing wine and cheese. Oh. That was a spur of the moment kind of thing. So it, right. it, it couldn't like retroactively make his trespassing a crime. So in the end, the theft charges were dropped. And instead of jail time, Fagan was ordered to undergo psychiatric evaluation, which I'm fair enough. And uh, I should note that even though it took another 25 years, the law was eventually changed in 2007. So, so now it is a crime to break into Buckingham Palace, guys. So, okay, that's a good. It's a good service note for our, our listeners out there. <laughs> mm-hmm. All right, we've got four facts left to go. Let's take a quick break, and then we'll get right back to it. BP added more than seventy billion dollars to the U.S. economy in 2022. Investments like acquiring America's largest biogas producer, Arkea Energy, and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Witness the dawning of a new era in automotive luxury with a reveal unlike any other as Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury, the premiere of the all-new 2025 Infinity QX80. Join us March 20th live from the Edge at Hudson Yards in New York City, featuring an unforgettable performance by Grammy and Academy Award-winning singer, songwriter, and composer, John Batiste. The all-new Infinity QX80 is unlike any luxury SUV you've ever seen. Smart enough to anticipate your needs, even before you do. Every line, curve, and detail was thoughtfully crafted so everything for every passenger feels just right. Don't miss it. Mark your calendars and be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. Okay, quick math. The less your business spends on operations, on multiple systems, on delivering your product or service, the more margin you have and the more money you keep. Obvious. But with higher expenses on materials, employees, distribution, and borrowing, everything costs more. So to reduce costs and headaches, smart businesses are graduating to NetSuite by Oracle. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, HR into one platform with one source of truth. With NetSuite, you reduce IT costs because NetSuite lives in the cloud with no hardware required, accessed from anywhere. 
You cut the cost of maintaining multiple systems because you've got one unified business management suite. And you're improving efficiency by bringing all your major business processes into one platform, slashing manual tasks and errors. Over 37,000 companies have already made the move. So do the math. See how you'll profit with NetSuite. Now through April 15th, NetSuite is offering a one-of-a-kind flexible financing program. Head to NetSuite.com slash stereo right now. NetSuite.com slash stereo. NetSuite.com slash stereo. Welcome back to Part-Time Genius, where we're sharing some of our favorite facts about British royalty. And uh, Will, I, I think maybe you're up next. I feel like I'm so distracted this whole episode by the, all the Billy Bass facts. Like, I feel like Gabe <laughs> actually used like three or four facts in one, which I think is cheating. But either way, it was, it was jealous. good stuff. So, All right. Well, I thought we'd give the queen a break for a minute and, and talk instead about her husband, Prince Philip. And as we all know, members of the royal family draw a lot of attention from the public. And some people can be a little, I don't know, you might say intense about their admiration for the royals. You've probably noticed this before. But as far as I know, Prince Philip is the only royal who's inspired an actual cult devoted to their worship. So it's pretty uh, pretty interesting. But I think we talked a little bit about cargo cults on the show before. So I won't get too deep into those. But Basically, a cargo cult is a tribal society that becomes fixated on the material goods or cargo of another culture. So, for instance, during World War II, hundreds of thousands of American and Japanese soldiers visited islands in the Pacific and they left behind all kinds of mass produced goods like everything from radios to can openers to candy and Coca-Cola. And the islanders had no concept of how these items were made or how they function. So they started to believe that this stuff must have been divinely made, you know, like gifts from the gods or something. So pretty soon entire religions sprang up around these centered on this idea that if you worship the leader of these other societies, then your community would be rewarded with more of these divine gifts. And so how did Prince Philip get mixed up in that? Like one of the tribes just started worshiping him one day? Yeah, and believe it or not, they still do. So most cargo cults lost faith during the post-war years when these frequent cargo shipments started to dry up. But the so-called Prince Philip movement is actually still going strong today in the South Pacific island of Tana. So members of this island's Castone tribe became convinced of Prince Philip's divinity after seeing his portrait in the 1960s. So according to them, the prince was the fulfillment of an ancient prophecy that the son of a mountain spirit would take the form of a pale-skinned man <laughs> who would marry a powerful woman and one day visit the Tana Island. So you look at Prince Philip, and it's like, check, check, check. He's all of these. He's pale-skinned. He's married to the queen. And in 1974, his royal yacht actually visited the island. And so that cemented Prince Philip's status as the cult's one true messiah, and they have been worshiping this guy ever since. And because I know you're wondering, yes, Prince Philip is aware of all of this, and the tribe has corresponded with Buckingham Palace over the years and even sent Prince Philip a traditional pig hunting club as a token of their esteem. Oh, wow. And it's not a one-way street either. So according to the Telegraph, Prince Philip returned the gesture by sending the tribe a portrait of himself holding the pig club. <laughs> I mean, I suppose he's just being nice, but also what a weird gift, especially when he could actually do things for them that would actually help them out. So my next fact is about shampoo. 
Prior to the late 18th century, the Western world used to be pretty bad at hair washing. Most people used soap to do the job, if they used anything at all. But that started to change when an Indian man named Sheikh Dean Muhammad introduced London's high society to this old cultural practice from India. For centuries, Indians used to have these cleansing scalp massages using special oils called chumpy. In fact, in India, when you get a haircut, often the barber will massage your head at the end of the uh, the haircut as, as just a part of the haircut. So when Muhammad started offering this treatment at his luxury spa in Brighton, it actually didn't take that long for Londoners to see the appeal. Soon, the classiest folks in town were lining up at Muhammad's spa to treat themselves to this head massage. And the name got anglicized from chumpy to shampoo. But here's the interesting part. So Muhammad started billing his shampoos as a cure-all, like he claimed it could cure anything from gout to a sprained ankle. And then it started picking up even more steam. But the truth is, all of this probably would have been just another passing fad if it hadn't been for the royal family. As these medical shampoos got more and more popular, King George IV wanted to see what the hubbub was about and invited Muhammad to the palace to massage his royal head. And the treatment was such a hit with his majesty that he actually appointed Muhammad to be the official shampooing surgeon to the king. And when George IV was succeeded by his brother, King William IV, Muhammad became his shampoo surgeon too. And from there, all people from like all sorts of social classes started following the king's lead and scrubbing up with shampoo. And it quickly became the world's go-to way to clean your hair. All right. Well, my next fact is about uh, a British king who was less concerned with keeping himself clean than he was in just keeping himself alive. And uh, that's Henry VIII, who is mostly remembered today for, you know, being a bully who executed his enemies, not to mention two of his six wives. And, uh, you know, something that's less widely known about him, though, is that he was also a major hypochondriac. He had his royal physicians examine him almost daily, and any hint of illness at his court would reportedly send him into a panic. But the king wasn't only worried about getting sick. He was also deathly afraid of being poisoned. And we've all heard about how kings have food tasters to test their meals for them to make sure it hasn't been tampered with. Well, Henry VIII took this precaution and extended it to his bedroom, too. He had this idea that one of his servants might coat his bed sheets with some kind of toxin while making his bed each morning. So to prove that they hadn't done that, the king made them kiss every part of the sheets, pillows, and blankets <laughs> that they touched. Oh, wow. Like that, that was just part of his daily morning routine. Like, watch the servants make out with the bedding. <laughs> it also just seems, like, really time-consuming. And I'm curious, though, why, why stop at the linens? I mean, couldn't somebody just as easily smear poison on his clothes or something? Uh, yeah, and he thought of that, too. Uh, according to historians, the king was also very concerned that his enemies might try to poison his clothes or hmm. even those of his son. So he had his servants test every item of clothing before he put it on. So the servants would rub their skin against every part of each piece of fabric. And for his son, Prince Edward, they would just put the clothes on a boy of Edward's size and wait to see if anything happened to him. So kind of a jerk move. But <laughs> the yeah. paranoia didn't stop there either, because even the cushion on Edward's chamber pot was reportedly tested before he used it each time. So I'm almost a little afraid to ask, how did how did he test it? Yeah, I mean, mercifully, we don't know. Like, his, history <laughs> doesn't record that one. But, you know, hopefully they weren't kissing it like they were the sheets. But, I mean, you, you can't really rule anything out with this guy. Yeah. 
All right. Well, speaking of scandals, I'm hoping my third fact isn't too controversial because it isn't about a British royal per se, but it does feature a guy who claims to be British royalty. In fact, he claims to be the rightful king of England. His name is Alan Evans, and he's a resident of Wheat Ridge, Colorado. <laughs> Wait, he lives in Colorado. <laughs> yeah, you got that right. The story didn't say in the news for that long, but back in 2017, Evans took out a huge ad in the Times of London claiming to be a descendant of royal Welsh line from the third century. And that ad's too wordy here to, to read the whole thing, but I do want to share my favorite part. It says, Take heed and rejoice, all citizens of this great nation called Great Britain, for the legend was not a myth, but was indeed true and more than a mere Tolkien story, <laughs> that the men of the West are now returning, and now is the time of the return of the king. So I, I like this already, but I'm a little confused. What did this guy think was going to happen? Like the queen is just going <laughs> to hand over the keys to Buckingham Palace and like let her eat his cheese and <laughs> like what's going on? I mean, if it's convincing enough, I guess. But uh, according to the ad, he was giving legal notice of his plan to claim his, quote, royal historic estate in 30 days, along with all the land, assets and titles due to him. However, he did not intend to claim the throne right away due to his, you know, deepest respect for the queen. And sure. so I guess he wants to postpone his reign until after she's passed away, which honestly, I mean, that's kind of a classy move. <laughs> so well, what, what happened after he gave her this uh, 30 day notice? You're going to be shocked, but but nothing happened. And so Buckingham Palace never responded. And Evans had to settle for being self-appointed king of Wheat Ridge. <laughs> it's almost as good. <laughs> yeah, I'd say almost as good. Um, but we did a guy's nine pretty good royal facts. And, and I, I think it's time to crown a winner. So uh, for my part, I, I like that Will managed to sneak a little America into our episode. But, you know, Gabe's big mouth Billy Bass uh, yeah. run there Just really takes much. it over. Yeah. <laughs> you good with giving it. him the trophy? No, I'm definitely good with that. I don't think there was any question. I think there would have been a revolt among our listeners if we'd given it to anybody else this week. All right. Well, thanks, guys. I couldn't have done it, of course, without Prince Philip. Praise be his name. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, that's going to do it for today's part-time genius from Mangash, Gabe, Lowell, and myself. Thanks so much for listening, and please stay safe. And if you need to pick me up this week, remember, it's always Tiara O'Clock somewhere. Part-Time Genius is a production of iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. Does money stress you out? Let FACET flip your financial chaos into clarity. Finding FACET immediately put us at ease. FACET's innovative approach to financial planning ensures your money works as hard as you do, enabling members to experience the joys of having your finances in order. And that makes us FACET for life now, I guess. <laughs> Visit FACET.com, F-A-C-E-T.com to learn more. This ad is sponsored by FACET. FACET Wealth is an SEC-registered investment advisor. This is not an offer to buy or sell securities, nor is it investment, legal, or tax advice. These testimonials are from current FACET members who are not compensated. All opinions are their own and not a guarantee of a similar outcome. Hey, hey, it's Malcolm Gladwell, host of Revisionist History. eBay Motors is here for the ride. Your elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive entirely its own. Brake kits, LED headlights, whatever you need, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride 
the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. You deserve to treat yourself. So turn your tax refund into a U-fund and give yourself a Straight Talk Wireless Extended Silver Unlimited plan and get a new Samsung Galaxy A14 on them. You can get a great everyday value on wireless with Straight Talk's unlimited plan starting at $25 a line per month for four lines. You'll save so much, you'll be enjoying that refund all year long. It's the refund that keeps on refunding. Find Straight Talk at straighttalk.com or at your local Walmart store. Taxes and fees not included. Offer valid through 4-14-24 while supplies last. Online only. Must purchase a Straight Talk extended Silver Unlimited plan to qualify. Limit of five phones per customer. Family plan discount with four lines all on the Silver Unlimited plan. Not combinable with auto pay discount.